Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach, and we are continuing our conversation on soteriology, um, leading out of a more transformational vision rather than a transactional. And today I'm so excited to welcome my dear friend, Glenn Packiam. Glenn is a pastor and a theologian and a worship leader, and he is a pastor at Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa, California. He is also the author of Resilient Pastor. And Which I have on my desk and have read half of. Fantastic. Oh, wow. yes. Half of it. There That's we go. There we go. And then also you co-wrote a book with your wife, Holly, uh, The Intentional Year, which I know is um probably just been a really exciting and fun process. Glenn, we are so glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Tara Beth. Thank you, Mark. Great to be on with you guys today. Yeah. You know, this podcast reaches a number of different people, um, pastors and lay leaders. And we know that pastors are, um, over the last several years, the rate in which they are burning out mm. is on a rise. This is something that you and I have talked about mm -hmm. a number of different times. And uh, this has been on your radar, hasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a pretty shocking statistic, actually. I mean, it started out at, at uh, you know, 29% in 2021. It rose to 38%. Uh, by 2022, it was in the 42% range. And this is, the percent is of pastors who had seriously considered quitting vocational ministry. And, you know, I want to be careful to always say sometimes God moves a pastor's context or ministry context out of the local church and into something else, maybe nonprofit work or seminary work. But th that doesn't mean that they've been unfaithful, or that they've given up to their calling per se. But mm -hmm. I think what Barna was trying to measure in this is actually pastors who are so discouraged, so wearied, uh, we're, uh, you know, weary from the journey that they're actually thinking about, you know, hanging it all up. Right. And this is uh, more than just the Monday morning, I'm done kind of emotional exhaustion response. This is considered reflective. I don't think I can do this anymore kind of consideration. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, in fact, when the Barnett team kind of pressed a bit deeper to say, what are some of the reasons, the stresses of the job, but, but you know, that's general. And then specifically, it was some of the political turbulence. It was the, uh, the, the, the infighting or the fracturing within their own churches. I mean, there's a number, four or five different factors that pastors name that they're not new, but I think the temperature has been turned up on each of these things over the last few years. Yeah, I mentioned uh, two podcasts ago, or I don't know, four podcasts ago, a young pastor asking me, uh, has it always been this hard? Mm. Uh, and you know, how do you answer the question? It's always been hard, but has it always been this hard? Uh, I, 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 being pastor still, I had to say, no, I, I don't think it has always been this hard. I think it's mm. harder these mm. days. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is harder these days. And actually, there's there's a young woman uh, that I've been mentoring. She's a pastor and she is she's in her 20s. So she's just she's just getting started. Mm. And she asked me a similar question. And my instinct 
was to say, and that, you know, at first what I said to her is, you know, no, it's not always this hard. Uh, right. there, this is, this is a season. This is, mm-hmm. this is, you know, a moment, a blip on the radar. You will mm-hmm. have seasons where that's fun. It's flourishing. Right. But then I realized she started ministry. I mean, four years ago, Wow. you know, right. Wow. Like when things Man. started to heat yeah. up. And so, and so after I assured her that, no, it's not always as hard, then I wondered, though, is this the new normal? Mm, mm. It, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think there are several things that have compounded the difficulty for pastors uh, today in this moment. I mean, one of them is, um, you know, people point to technology in all kinds of ways, but I think it's important to, to take seriously that the way digital technology is being used in churches all around the world has meant that the pastor's always um, being compared to, I, I don't want to say competing with, but being compared to other pastors, other churches, other ministries. Wow. And so you could talk wow. about social media, sure, but you could talk about the clips, the the, the preaching clips, all, that's, all the stuff that we do too. Um, but for the person who's going to church, whereas you, know, you may not have known what's happening at another mm-hmm. church in Atlanta or Dallas or New York, whatever, now it's, it's pretty common for someone to come to church and to hear from one of their beloved congregants, oh, hey, I watched so-and-so the other day on YouTube, and they were saying this, and do you plan on addressing that too? And so and so we're being compared to all of this stuff. And then you combine that with this particularly American fascination with individualism. And I, you know, I keep moving west in, in the U.S. You know, I was in Colorado for 22 years. I'm in California now. And the more west I get, the more individualistic it seems to be. And mm. and and I've joked with a friend. I mean, this is this is maybe for people, your listeners on the podcast would appreciate this, but there seems to be a kind of fractional ecclesiology um, mm-hmm. to, to to where we say, "What is church?" Oh, well, church is all the different fractions that I make uh, up of it, or, or you know, make it up with. And so I like the prayer meeting at Rock Harbor, but I like the Bible teaching at you know Mariners, and I like the kids program at Saddleback, or oh, and, you know, I, I'm I'm being hypothetical but slightly tongue-in-cheek of saying this is what we've trained people to do. And technology has made it possible for us to know about those other things. And so rather than having a deeply rooted ecclesiology, we have this fractional ecclesiology uh, that has been fueled by, by, by technology and individualism. Now, you said that was theoretical. No, I have experienced that with my people. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to Sunday school at a church because they don't want to leave their small group. And then they come to college church because they like the worship service. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then they then they do something else with another body of believers mm-hmm. because of the venue or because yeah. of what's being yeah. offered. Yeah. Um, and uh, gee whiz, we don't <laughs> we don't say no, no, you have to stay at your right. local. Right local congregation i mean we're kind of complicit in the encouragement of that i've not heard the phrase fractional ecclesiology but i really like that is that your is that your word i think so but you know yeah 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 look i claim it yeah (laughs) ecclesiology. that's good as as glenn says fractional ecclesiology (laughs) we're we're gonna give you credit going forward yes But it's like being a um, being a part of a bunch of different bodies. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, what text in our, what text addresses that? Right. For Pete's sake. Right. Wow. Right. 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 I think I think COVID um, heightened this. I I have conversations with people all the time, 
um, about how fun COVID was for them because all of a sudden they got to join other churches and they found other pastors. Um, And these were people who were faithful and committed Christians to their local churches for a very long time. COVID happens and all of a sudden their news feeds are full of worship services that they can choose from. Yes. And they got to shop and they got to explore. And I've heard a number of different people say, well, that that's my COVID church. or that's That was my online church. Uh, yeah. And and to your point, compare. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so the uh, word through uh, the 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 word in flesh through a local pastor. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. is not sufficient anymore. Right. Uh, the word must be in fleshed like it's enfleshed in that other person yes yes or in that person mm-hmm. yeah that is very interesting mm-hmm. i mean i suffer from the com- from I, I suffer from i don't know what, what do you call it comparison yeah syndrome, syndrome. yeah, yeah. yeah. All that. make up a make up a phrase for that one <laughs> yes well and it's true you know i mean they say comparison is a thief of joy oh, sure. and it yes. is and yeah. i think yeah. it's it is it's drowning our pastors. It's yeah, discouraging yeah. to them yes. to the point where they, they feel like they need to walk away. And that's all driven by a soteriology that is, as one of our earlier podcasts uh, guests said, content delivery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not, not participation in the life of a community. Right. Th- that's right. right. And, and, and actually Mark, I mean, I think, you know, you, you would even push, I, I think we could even push this beyond that and say, uh, if it's not participation in Christ, if if soteriology is a transaction with Jesus, so it's not even participation with Christ, uh, then then even less is it participation through the body of Christ, through the local church. Now we're Protestants; we're not saying that there, there's no salvation outside the church or anything like that. But but we have divorced this notion that to be in union with Christ must involve a kind of union with His body, with the, with the people of God. And so again, I go back to this sort of individualistic uh, frame, which has just heightened over the generations. Uh, I'm reading a fascinating uh, secular sociology book right now by, uh, I think you pronounce her name, Jean Tavenge, uh, uh, who wrote, Genera- it's called Generations, and she's making the case that the, the, you know, the trend that is uh, increasing from every generation to the next is just an increasing uh, amount of individualism, and technology fuels that, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to dog technology, uh, obviously, but it does, unless we are aware of the way that it's forming us, uh, we can't do these counterformative things. And, and all of this stuff is just uh, confirming our tendency to be individualistic. And so it's Jesus and me, but even that is like, Jesus, you just forgive my sin and then I'll take it from here. And then it's Jesus and me because I actually don't really need anyone else until I do. And then if I do, I'll let you know. I'll call you if I need uh, help with my marriage or my business or prayer in the hospital. But other than that, I'll be okay. And, and when the, the, the sad thing about this is, is church is actually designed to be the very cure that we need. Church is actually designed to be that counterformative work right. that forces us or invites us into the messy, beautiful work of being with the ordinary saints, of, of being able to say, uh, hey, when you do have a problem with, uh, with, with Bob or, or, or Susan or whatever, that's exactly when you practice uh, being tender-hearted and and forgiving to one another, Ephesians four, you know. So anyway, I I, I could get preaching on that. So uh, I'm pretty close to saying, without the church, there is no salvation. For the record, uh, <laughs> good. Uh, my uh, so the, the 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 Bible seems to indicate that 
this kind of uh, isolated individualistic Christianity was really alien. I mean, you were a part of the church, and to not be a part of the church, at least to not be a part of the Corinthian church, meant that you were apart from Christ. Yeah. And yeah. so Paul's yeah. instruction in First in First Corinthians, uh, which seems really harsh, excommunicate the immoral brother from among you, was for the sake of salvation, mm. because there was no opportunity for him to think of himself as saved apart from the body of Christ in First mm. Corinthians. I think that's First Corinthians five, right? So, um, yes, so this, so this individualistic, and I want to add Gnostic, which is another sure. conversation. Yeah. yeah. Soteriology, which is mainly transactional. Uh, I've got the ticket. I've said the prayer. Mm -hmm. um, has to be countered by pastors, but it's one of the reasons pastor. I mean, sometimes it's just too big a hill. Yeah. I, we just can't compete. We can't compete with the technology. We can't compete with the individualism. Yeah. of professing christians yeah, yeah so uh what's what's a word of encouragement for pastors well this is why for pastors we have to stay close to jesus and we have to remember that we yeah. said yes to the work not because we love the church i mean i i go back over and over again you guys to the conversation jesus had with peter on the shores of the sea you know like uh, to say peter do you love me and it's in the answer to that question that jesus renews peter's call and I think for a lot of a lot of pastors out there, this is a moment to renew your call. But your call was not uh, first. Do you love the church? Your call does not. The, the power to be faithful to your call does not arise from this sort of summoning up a deep love for the church. It actually begins with uh, responding to the deep love of Jesus for us uh, by by our own kind of profession of love for Him. And so, uh, I, I think I think Christ is asking me and is asking each one of us, Do you love me first? Do you love me? <laughs> And then if the answer is yes, then okay, go, go and feed my lambs. But I'm, I'm feeding the sheep, I'm feeding the flock, not first of all because I, I, I like the work, I believe in the church and all this. I do, I do, I do, I do. But boy, there are days I don't. Uh, and, and on those days, what I have to cling to is, but I still love you, Jesus, and I'm still with you. Mm -hmm. And you, you called me into this. You've assigned me to be part of this community. Uh, and, and that's maybe that's all that we have in that moment. But for pastors, that's got to be our bedrock. You know, I, so I had, a, I don't think I've told this story. Um, I'm, I'm in a small church in Southern Illinois 40 years ago. Uh, the parsonage was on mine subsidence, so the parsonage was kind of skewed. And um, it's the middle of the night, and I'm, it, the, the illustration I used in my head was I'm carving a church out of rock using a pitcher of water. It just was yeah. such yeah. hard work, and there was no fruit. That I could tell, right? And so I'm, I'm in the middle of the night. I'm, I don't know, despair is not is too strong, but I was lamenting. I was mm. aggravated. I was mm. probably angry. Mm. And I'm, I'm thinking, what you know, what do, you, what are you at? Why are you asking this of me? I mean, this. I'm gonna die anonymous. No effect. No, no effect on the kingdom. Mm. I'm just gonna. It, and so I'm, I'm really, really fussing. And um, it came out of me, and I was, it, and it was vocal. I was praying out loud, and I said out loud, unbeknownst to, me, I didn't know I was going to say it. Mm -hmm. I said, "You know, the only reason I'm doing this is because I love you." <laughs> it just came out of me. I mean, it just came amazing. Out of me. And and then I got quiet. Mm -hmm. I just got very quiet, mm -hmm. and I thought, and the Lord said, "Yes." Mm -hmm. 
And Beautiful. I said, so be it. Beautiful. Hmm. So you're, you're, you're reminding us of the reason for it. Hmm. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. That uh, th it is Christ's love for us, which we cannot escape. And in response, our love for him that keeps us in the game. That doesn't say that those who don't remain don't love Christ. No, no, no. Right? No, no. But at the end of the day, what keeps me in is his love for me and my love for him. I've never forgotten Amen. that. Amen. You know, the only I've said it since then many times. You know, the only reason I'm doing this is because I love you, right? <laughs> not in so, not maybe with the same tone. Sure, sure, yeah. But, uh, oh, that's a great you probably, story. You've had that experience too. Oh, so many times, so many times, where I've wondered, what in the world? Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. What's this all about? Mm -hmm. And then you know, it's that call that that brings you back to those early days. Um, those moments where you remember those early days of when you had that fire yep. and that passion and that love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's why. That's mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. You know, and Glenn, you, you've done so much re research on resilience. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the hallmarks of pastors that have been able to be in this for the long game? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember a mentor a long time ago said to me, he said, you've got to keep the long view always. You've right. got to keep the long view. And so what is it that keeps pastors in the long game? You know, I think I think there's a there's a few things. But uh, uh, the first one is it, it always seems to come back to the question of the pastor's relationships, <clears throat> the people in their life. And there's several layers of this. I mean, I think I think one layer of this is if the pastor is married, if they have children, then there's something there about the pastor's own connection with their spouse and with their family. Mm. And I, and I think I think the ones who are able to 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 last over the long term have learned um, the importance of investing in the relationship with the people that that know you and love you. Uh, fully apart from your role in the church, you know. Yeah. And as I reflect on that, I think I, I think you know even for myself, I've I've been, uh, you know, in pastoral ministry for over twenty years, but in the senior pastoral role for less than a year, you know. So I've been you know led a congregation at New Life, but it was still within the ecosystem of a the larger kind of you know <laughs> church. And 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 I I think there's a particular weight I feel now in 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 my forties, and I can't. Escape. I was saying to a friend the other day, it's difficult to know that every social setting I'm in, uh, even when I'm relaxed, even when there are friends, I, I can't fully take off the thing that they're seeing me as their pastor. And that's okay. It's not like I'm looking to be a different person or anything like that. But there is a beauty in being loved just because you are you. And that's the gift that your family can give you. That's the gift that close friends can give you. And so pastors who are able to nourish and uh, invest intentionally in relationships that are not asymmetrical uh, and that actually are reciprocal. So asymmetrical, there's a power differential, most of our relationships, and most of our relationships are not fully reciprocal. So if you can find relationships that are symmetrical, again, a, a marriage if you're married or close friendships uh, if you're married or not married. Um, so relationships that have that sense of symmetry in the power differential and then that are reciprocal. But I think there's a there's a couple other layers that are things that show up. One of them is the the pastor's attentiveness or willingness uh, to actually see a spiritual director or counselor with some kind of regularity. 
And we discovered in, in some of our research when we were working on the book with the Barna team that actually pastors, if you ask them the question generally, you say, do you talk to someone, you know, with spiritual guidance, like half the pastors or whatever will say, oh yeah, totally, you know. But when you get specific and you say, well, do you talk to a counselor or do you talk to a spiritual director? The percentage actually drops quite a bit. It goes down to 10, 15%, you know. So so the the the, the amount of pastors who are actually taking the time to speak with someone who is trained in the skill of paying attention to their own soul and helping them pay attention to it as well. Uh, there are not many that do, but the ones who do are, are, are the ones who are better for it. And so I, you know, I've been in a rhythm for years of seeing a spiritual director, and sometimes it was monthly, sometimes it went all the way down to quarterly. I'm back in a rhythm now where it's every couple months. And I need it, not because I'm in crisis, but because I want someone whose soul... Uh, role is to actually help me pay attention to the condition of my soul. Um, and then I, I think a third thing I could say is is there's something here about rhythms, about Sabbath, about rule of life, about things like the prayer of exam. I mean, all, all the stuff that Holly and I wrote about in the intentional year is stuff that we've been practicing for 10, 11, 12 years, but that came out of necessity for us of saying, if mm. we don't call a timeout every now and again throughout the year, and force ourselves to reflect on what we've just come through, and then listen to the Lord for the season ahead, and then recalibrate our, our five key areas of our life around what we think we're entering into. If, if we don't do that, then we're just going to be living reactively, living responsively, and that's the stuff, I think, that takes us down. There's enough stuff in life that is unplanned, unscripted, you, you know, that doesn't go according to plan, as much as you can intentionally kind of aim or chart the course of your life in terms of your rhythms and your habits, uh, the better you'll be when the waves start hitting. We're not exempt. Chris, we're not exempt from this in embracing of individualistic soteriology as pastors, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so it's a lot safer, and which is one of the reasons our people embrace it. It's a lot safer if you're a pastor mm -hmm. to never share mm -hmm. Uh, who you are mm -hmm. with anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, furthermore, the vocation inclines you to think that you're the one who has to have it all together. Yes. And you can't model confession very well or very easily. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't model vulnerability uh, because you're supposed to be the exemplar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it occurs to me as you're talking about uh, having a friend who can speak truth to you yeah, or having yeah. a counselor or a therapist or a spiritual director or whatever you, however, whoever that person is, um, that requires a little, a, a bit of vulnerability yeah. and uh, openness to confession, which uh, I don't think pastors <laughs> know they have permission to do. Yeah, it's so true, Mark. And I, I, I love that connection you just made that we ourselves can't be individualistic about it. There's got to be a community around us. Uh, in in uh, the Resilient Pastor, I refer to it as a constellation of relationships, you know, like we need many stars in the constellation to kind of guide us. But, you know, it occurs to me as you're, sh as you're uh, sharing this about our emotions and all of that, that maybe we're, we also fall prey to an atomistic, an atomistic um, um, view of soteriology where it's just about one part of me being saved, my soul being saved, instead of this holistic view of soteriology that says, actually, God wants to redeem my mind, my emotions. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I can't tell you the benefit that I that you know my wife is, is trained as a counselor, so she was far ahead of all this than I was. 
But over the last seven or eight years of, of learning to do the work of digging into family of origin type stories and, 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 and unpacking where un my unhealthy reactivity comes from and doing that work of saying, I'm not just a soul who's been redeemed. Uh, I, I, am, I am body and mind and history and story and, and all of those things are places where God's grace wants to touch and redeem and heal. And so for the pastor, not only to not be individualistic, but not to be atomistic, uh, atomistic right. about our view of soteriology. Right, right. Well, you know, Kurt Thompson um, has helped me a lot mm -hmm. in this. Um, he talks so much about the healing power of being known. And he says this, this is such a great quote. He says, to be known is to be pursued, mm -hmm. examined, and shaken. To be known is to be loved and to have hopes and demands placed on you. You're now in a position of vulnerability. He says it is to risk not only to the furniture in your home being rearranged, but your floor plans being rewritten, your walls being demolished and reconstructed. Mm -hmm. To be known means that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be loved. Mm -hmm. And so many pastors are living in hiding um, yeah, yeah. they are, um, living in a space where they're not allowing others to know them. Mm -hmm. Um, they're living in the dark mm -hmm. and they have shame, they have guilt, but when it stays there in the dark, um, there's no opportunity to discover that, um, that they're known yeah. and they're loved yeah. as they are, that yeah. they're welcomed as they are. And I think, you know, just to bring it full circle with this resilient pastor, um, and pastors that are resilient, if more pastors would be willing to live in the light yeah. and allow themselves to be known in a healing and loving community, yeah. I just wonder if we would see more pastors in the long game. That's so good, Tara Beth. You know, I, I think it's possible for people to hear, and I've encountered this as we've done these resilient pastor roundtables and events online and person, all that stuff for the last couple of years, people hear the word resilient and what they hear is, oh, I need to do this. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Yeah, they think I grit. To, they yeah, got to have grit. That's right. That's yeah. right. They use, and, and and I understand that from a plain you know, use of the word, it does seem like a synonym to grit. And so I, I always try to qualify when I'm using this as a Christian, as someone who's trying to think theologically, resilience is a work of grace. It's something yep. God does in us. In that sense, it's much more like resurrection. Resurrection doesn't emerge from possibilities which are latent in a corpse. Resurrection comes because of the voice from beyond that calls us from the dead. And I think that's the kind of resilience I want. That's the kind of resilience I need. It's that perseverance that really is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of the Spirit's work in us. And so your, your point about, about bringing things to the light is such a beautiful thing because if we think resilience is grit, then we're going to live in shame when we don't feel resilient. And then we're going to go push deeper and deeper into shame and into the dark. Wow. But if we believe that resilience is a work of grace, then we'll run to the light and say, God, I can't <laughs> yes. do this. I am out of yes. strength. I'm weak. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. Yes. I need your grace to bring me back from the dead. And it is the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead that will quicken uh, our, our mortal bodies. So I, I, I believe in that. So in your head, uh, a, syn a, a, a title that would be synonymous with the resilient pastor is the resurrected pastor. You know, I wish I had done that, Mark. Yes, that would be much better. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> well, but that's that. an important because I think, I, so the resilient pastor does seem to lean into 
what do you have to have in order to to mm. make it yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah you're resilient that means you've got it you've got and so it's not a but that's not what you're talking about at all no you're talking about a pastors who are open to the resurrecting work of christ in their yes. own lives and their own pastoral ministry that's yeah. a really important distinction i think that i'm really glad you made mm. because that's what i'm hearing yeah yeah and it's it's, it's interesting because the, the book out goes on to outline eight challenges that we're facing four for us as individuals and four for the church and culture today and you know all throughout by the time you get to the end of it you're like well shoot we can't we can't face any of these challenges uh, on our own and that's right. exactly the point you know so one of the final chapters in the book is the presence and the power and it is all about the God who raises the dead. That's who we're counting on. Wow. It's, what Paul, it's what Paul says to the Corinthians, Run. right? We're counting on the God who raises the dead. And uh, and gosh, that's what we, that's our only hope. Now, this has been really helpful. Yes. Yeah. This And this is why we're doing this podcast. Um, this is why I know that you're doing the work that you are with, with resilient pastors. And I know that you have cohorts. Could you just, you know, for any pastors out there who are just in that state of burnout, could you tell us about mm -hmm. these cohorts you have? Well, we just finished one in March. We did a six month cohort. Uh, we haven't decided when we'll, we'll do another one. We might do another round in early 2024. We decided for the fall to just do a few cities. We did eight cities uh, last year. We're going to do three cities this fall. And we're really just trying to get pastors around tables, just like you're doing in this podcast, but get pastors around tables together, praying for one another, learning together, recognizing that they're not the only ones who feel this way, that they're not the only ones you know, to, to feel uh, these pressures. And so we do hope to launch another cohort next year in 2024. But even, even with the, the podcast and these live events and a few virtual events, um, the goal here is to, is to just get pastors around one another saying, um, you know, hey, me too. You know, I'm, I'm going through this as well. I'm experiencing this as well. And then being able to sort of be conduits of the grace of God to one another. Great, great. And we'll get we'll get the website on our show notes so folks can learn more about those cohorts. Glenn, thanks so much for joining us today. And we, you know, we're praying that that pastors are encouraged to just keep going another day. And, and for the pastors that are living in the dark, that they would come into the light and do the vulnerable, scary thing and and be known. And I I would say what you what you just said, Glenn. Um, make yourself open to honest relationships with those who can be your friends apart from your parishioners, apart from your congregants, where uh you're, you're, you're not having to prove yourself or uh, perform or be other than you are. So the relationships that you have outside of your congregants is pretty, pretty important. So thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening to the pastor's table, friends. We pray that God would bless you um, in this journey, that God would give you the gifts and the grace that you need to sustain you just another day. And until next time. <laughs>